that it has been as, there we go, as encouraging to you as it's been for me personally. Um, this week we are looking at the question, why am I so afraid? Why am I so afraid? All talking all about fear. Uh, and when I think about fear, the memory that comes to my mind fastest is when I went cliff jumping in college with my friends in Waco, Texas, uh, off Lake Whitney's Cliff. I want to show you a picture here. Um, yes, I have used a fisheye lens to exaggerate what was probably a much smaller cliff, but I need you to feel what I felt, okay? Um, when we got to this cliff, all my friends were super psyched about this. They'd done it tons of times. They were like, come, it'll be great. No worries. Let's do it. Uh, so we get to Lake Whitney. We get to the cliff. And there's, I mean, there's probably a hundred college students all here. It's the dead of summer. Everyone's doing this. Uh, it's kind of a tradition in Waco if you're at Baylor University. Uh, and so I'm ready for this. I think, yeah, I can do this, no problem. And as I get to the cliff, my whole body literally just locks. And there's like this psychological barrier as if my brain is selling, I'm not doing that for you. Um, and, and I'm stood there trying to get myself to jump off this cliff and I just can't do it. And I probably, there's like for 30 minutes, there were countless students just jumping beside me. And I'm paralyzed. I can't do anything about it at all. Eventually, someone pushed me off, which... Uh, I worked out. I didn't die. So, but um, I want to ask you this morning: Would you would you want to confront those places in your life where fear has paralyzed you, where you were locked up? Do you want to have a life paralyzed by fear or empowered by faith? Last week we discussed the question: How do we deal with spiritual depression? Uh, and this week we're going to really ask the question: How do we deal with fear and anxiety? Two things that kind of go hand in hand. Usually when you struggle with one, you see glimpses of another. So we can't really talk about one without the other. And let's be honest, what could be a more pressing question after the last two years than how do we deal with our fears? You know that over the last couple of years that anxiety has climbed 25%. That's globally. Every country on earth has gone up 25%. Isn't that a shocking degree? But when you think about it, it's really not that shocking. We've had pandemics, we've had social unrest, we've had all kinds of brokenness around us, and so fear grows in our hearts. I think that fear is all too often the water that we swim in right now, and unfortunately with new variants and more social unrest and all kinds of changes, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. But the good news of Christianity, the good news that we preach here at church every week is that we serve a God who has come to confront fear. We have a God who is not oblivious to our fears. He is not without grace to meet us in them. And in fact, I would say that Christianity is a religion not for the fearless, but for the fearful. It is a message not for the fearless, but the fearful. Did you know that the most repeated command in all of Scripture is do not be afraid? Of all the things that God could say to us, of all the things that he could ask of us, the thing that he says most is, I don't want you to be afraid. And today we are going to read the psalm of a man that we often consider wildly courageous, bold and fearless, but who reveals to us that he, like us, is fearful of many things. He's going to bear out his soul towards us. He's going to share his feelings with God, and through his words, God is going to meet us where we are and offer us hope, offer us courage. So let's read this psalm together. This is Psalm 27 by King David. I want to read his words to you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though now be in camp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. As we go through this today, I want to look at three things that today's psalm and David's word teaches us about our struggle against fear. He teaches us about what we face, what we need, and what we have. So let's talk about what we face. Now, you would guess from my first story today that I'm probably the kind of person who travels with uh, guys that don't make good decisions, uh, and that certainly was the case in college, but sometimes I also made some pretty bad decisions, uh, and I remember going to a water park called Schlitterbahn in uh, San Antonio, Texas, the greatest water park on earth, it's huge, it's like the size of a city, and my favorite part about every water park is the wave pool. I love the wave pool. They send out these huge waves, you ride them in a tube usually, but not Andrew Griffiths, because he's a moron. He wants to swim out, and he wants to just sit in the water with no flotation device, and just go in the waves that way, right? Because that's, that's safe. So I swam out, and I did it, and I'm having a good time at first, but what happens is, they kind of run this for kind of five minutes at a time, right? And the waves get bigger and bigger the longer they leave it on. That's why they, they can't leave it on all day, because it just gets crazy, so I'm out in the middle of this wave pool. There's people all around me. I'm having a good time. But all of a sudden, I'm like, I can feel myself going a little bit further under every time the wave hits me. And I'm getting a little nervous. Uh, and pretty soon, every wave that comes out is kind of hitting me right on top. It's pounding me. And I start to feel myself panic. And I don't know what it's, if you've ever been in that situation where you've been in water and you panic, but it's a horrible feeling because you don't know what you're supposed to do. And I'm looking around, I'm trying to find my footing, I'm looking for something that I can grab onto. There's people all around me, they can probably see this weird bald guy just jumping out of the water trying to grab on them. I'm trying to figure out what do I do in this moment of panic and this fear. Now, what I didn't know that entire time is that probably a stone's throw away from me was a lifeguard. That whole time there was someone there who was able to save me should I need it. But I was so fixated on what I was going through. I was so fixated on what was happening to me. I couldn't see what existed around me to help me. When I say what we face, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what are we putting our eyes on? What are we looking at? I want to read the first six verses of Psalm 27 again real quickly. David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. When you feel fear, how do you start to process it? Where do you start? David starts with God. As he's writing this out for us, he tells us about the great God who he loves. Now, I'm not sure exactly where this is in David's life. Uh, There's many moments that we could maybe pin this to, but ultimately, it really doesn't matter which moment it was, because we know from David's life that it was full of moments to feel fear. David's life was an endless string of events that brought many much fear and anxiety. He was hunted by his enemies for years at a time. He was driven into the wilderness to hide for years at a time. He faced numerous threats from surrounding nations and was often at war. Now, King David, we often think of because of David and Goliath, is this courageous, fearless figure that would run down into a valley against crazy odds. But actually, the majority of what David has left us in terms of his prayers and his thoughts, tell us that David was a man full of fear and anxiety. It's in contrast to this idea that we sometimes, unfortunately, get that people of great faith should be people who don't have fear. It's not true. Some of the most faithful people in Scripture have dealt with deep fear. But what David did choose to do, which is important for us, is he approached his fear with a very unique perspective. He opens reminding himself of who God is. I uh, started going to counseling for anxiety a few years ago, and one of the first things I learned that has stuck with me, I think is so interesting, is the counselor described anxiety and fear as those kind of looking into the future and trying to control what's going on, trying to predict and control what's going to happen. What David does in this psalm is he doesn't kind of forecast what might happen and say, okay, we've got to deal with this. What he does is he starts by saying, I want to be present with you, God. I'm not going to let my mind run away with what's happening right now. I'm not going to let my mind be governed governed by enemies that might be surrounding me or circumstances which might be surrounding me. I'm going to set my heart and mind on God. There is no no better way to be present than to be in the presence of God. When you face fear, you have a choice to make about how you're going to deal with it. You can allow fear to consume your attention and your thoughts, or you can come to the God who cares for you. See, fear would often have you believe that it requires all the attention, that it needs to fill every thought you have. But Jesus said this, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, we're facing some very difficult things in our days. We've already talked about a couple. Pandemics, social ills, political strife, personal suffering, 
relational strife, financial struggles, parenting, figuring out how to raise kids in the midst of everything that's going on in the world around us, marriage, how to love your spouse when life is not easy. I'd say that now more than ever, we need someone who can help us navigate this. We need the God that David talks about. And what does David say? He says one thing. He asks for one thing in the midst of his fears, in the midst of his struggles. And what he doesn't ask for is as important as what he does. Because what he doesn't ask for is, can you end this? Can you destroy my enemies? Can you move me out of this dangerous place? And can you put me in a nice, safe spot? If you could ask for anything in the midst of your fears, if you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? I know that I probably wouldn't ask to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord because that's the one thing that David wants. No matter what else is going around him, he says, I just want one thing, one thing, God, I want to be able to see you right now, right here. And when he says gaze, I think that's such a great word because gaze, it means more than to just see it plainly. It means to fix yourself on it. It means to be consumed by it. When you gaze at something, it has all of your attention. Have you ever been out in nature and seen an incredible, marvelous scene? Perhaps you've been by the lakeside or near a mountain, and it just it captures you, and it takes your breath away. And if you can remember back to the moments when you've seen that, what are you usually saying in your head? If you're anything like me, it's, it's probably one of the few times in your life where every thought you have is gone. It's really just quiet. It's still. Because really great beauty stills us. It quiets us. When we look at something beautiful, it's one of the few things in all of creation that can actually get our mind to just empty and be quiet. That's why David's asking to gaze on the beauty of the Lord because he knows in this chaos, in my fears, what I need to do is I need to behold your beauty because it will quiet me. It will still me. It'll help me think. It will help me focus. This is why we need God. There is nothing more beautiful, so there is no better place to find peace than in his presence. Once we know what we face, then we can start looking at what we need. What we need. Now, if I go even further back in time in my life than we've already gone today, uh, back in England, I was, uh, I don't know whether you guys had this in America. Did you have a phase kind of, uh, in like late 90s, early 2000s of kind of, of like goths, everybody like to drop the chains on their pants and no, am I, is this crazy? Okay, it's true. It, it happened to you too. Okay, good. I, even though I couldn't skate, even though I had no like interest in gothic music at all, I decided I wanted to be a goth. So I would spike my hair up and I wear, would wear this ridiculous, I actually just went and bought a dog lead and just cut the handle off and hung it on my jeans. Uh, and I loved this. And I would hang out with my friends. But in England, there was kind of another crowd that was like the natural enemy of the goth. And they are called chavs. This is, I know you didn't have this in America. So chavs are kind of like these kind of thuggish, kind of popular, sporty kids. And if the, the, what would happen, it's, it's like a, an episode of uh, David Attenborough like out in the wild. Like if a, if a chav sees a goth, it's like predator mode. They're going to hunt them down. They're going to get them. And so me and my friends, we would often be out, we'd go skateboard and we'd hang out and the chavs would see us and they would hunt us down. They wanted to come for us and get us. It was terrible. But we had a friend called Big Phil. Big Phil was a great guy. 
He was, he was probably six foot seven, six foot eight, huge guy, and he was the friendliest guy in the world. I mean, he was, you know, he's intimidating. He's part of a gothic crowd. He's wearing all black. He's intense. But he is a teddy bear. He loved people so well. He, he just loved to be friendly and encouraging all the time. And whenever Big Phil was with us, no chav wanted to mess with us. We could go anywhere we wanted. We, we were safe. And it was so much fun going out with Big Phil and knowing, you know what, we're good. We were okay because Big Phil is with us. You know, we all of us need a big fill in our life, but where are we going to find one? Where are we going to find a fill who can face some of the fears that we really have? Not about kids scrapping or looking to get into trouble, but about some of these things that we've talked about, things that overwhelm us like waves. Where are we going to find the fill who can stand up to that? David cries out to God in verses 7 through 12. He says, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. See, this is the moment where we really begin to see what David really needs. Where David gets raw and honest with us. What he really wants from God in his fear. And he shows us four things. Four things about how we can engage with God in our fear. To be prayerful, to be praiseful, to be purposeful, and to be patient. And he starts with being prayerful. David starts by coming to God and praying, talking with him. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. David knew that. He knew not to be anxious, but to come and to pray. To let his requests be made known to God. And what are his requests? What does David ask for? If we go through this, I want to read you all the things that David asks for in this prayer. To hear him. For God to be merciful to him. For God to answer him. For God not to hide from him. To not be angry with him. To not reject him. To not forsake him. To teach him. To lead him. And finally, to not turn him over to his enemies. Now of that list... First off, David's prayer life was very vulnerable. He is very vulnerable. He's talking about the really raw things that he's afraid of. I'm afraid you might leave me, God. I'm afraid that I might be alone in this. I'm afraid you might be angry with me in this. So talk honestly and openly in your prayer. Be prayerful with vulnerability and honesty. But second, notice how much of the things that he asks of God to do with his personal relationship with God and nothing at all to do with his enemies or his circumstances. Do you know that he asks for nine things of God before he even starts talking about what God wants him to do with his enemies? The only thing he prays is to not be turned over. He doesn't say destroy them or smash them. He says don't turn me over. But before that, he prays nine things about just him and God. David knows that what he really needs in fear is a deep abiding relationship with his father. He doesn't want to find a way around his fear. He wants God to lead him through his fear by being present with him. He doesn't say, get me out. He says, come and be with me in it. Don't leave me here by myself. And I'm challenged by that 
That even in fear, David says the desire of his heart is to know God better. I think if I'm honest with myself, the reason I don't pray like that is because the desire of my heart is to avoid pain and loss. Most of our fears are about pain and loss in some way, and I want to avoid that. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to experience that. And so rather than say, God, come and be with me in this, I say, God, get me out of this. I don't want to be here. When I was a kid, um, my dad used to watch the X-Files. You all remember the X-Files? And I had this creepy, like, start music. And I remember being about six or seven years old and hearing that music and just being terrified. Didn't like it at all. But if my dad was with me when that music played, I didn't even register. You know, when you're afraid, when you're a little kid, remember how great it is to have your mom or your dad right there with you, holding you, be present with you. Something that seems so terrible and so horrifying, all of a sudden it just vanishes. David knows that. He knows I could face armies, I could face loss, I could face pain, but if God is here with me, it won't last. It won't take hold of me. And that's why he's not only prayerful, he's praiseful. I'm not sure that that is a word, but it is what David is, praiseful. He says, your face, Lord, I will seek. You have been my helper. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. He is constantly acknowledging God's goodness and his character. He is making known to himself and to those around him, this is who God is. Pastor Joe was preaching on this and he said that worship is your weapon. I really like that. What he's saying is that when we sing out the truths of Scripture and when we declare the truths of Scripture, similar to how when we preach to ourselves, then we will see fear dry up because we'll get a good perspective. There's something deeply miraculous that happens inside of your heart and your mind when you praise God. It strengthens you. It brings you courage. So when David says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me, he is acknowledging that even if his earthly fears are realized, even if the worst possible thing happens to him here, God's not going anywhere. He has something solid to stand on. So David is prayerful, he is praiseful, and he is purposeful. He says, my heart says, seek his face. And later he says, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. David wants to, in his fears, double down on his study of who God is, to dig deep, to learn more. I think that David knows that at least part of his fear might be because he doesn't understand who God is. And so what David says is, correct me. Find the things in me that are wrong, that I've misbelieved about you, that I'm confused about you, and help me, help me see you rightly. I think this is a challenge for us to read Scripture and to wrestle with it, to not let hard questions drive us away, but to drive us deeper into God's Word. I think, just in my experience at least, the church is suffering from biblical illiteracy. We don't understand the story of God. We don't understand who he is. We believe so many things that are just not found in his word. And all of those grow and multiply into terrible ideas that bring us fear and confusion. And I've seen a lot of people deconstruct their faith and pull their faith apart without truly diving deep into God's word and wrestling through hard questions. They, they face one and then they just dismiss it. Paul Tripp said that one time he was sat in counseling with a woman named Sally. 
And he says, she was very, very depressed. Her life had been so very hard. But when I heard Sally describe God, it was a God that I didn't know. It was not the God that is described in the Bible. I've had a lot of pastors say over the years, tell me about the God that you think I believe in and I'll tell you about how that's not who I believe in. Sometimes we just need to learn. We need to see God through true study, to dive deep, to wrestle, and to let God reveal himself to us. And lastly, David is patient. He says, hear me, don't turn away from me. That means that David doesn't yet have what he is looking for. He's having an ongoing conversation. You know, the journey through fear can last longer than we want it to sometimes. But that's okay. Matt Hanlon, the, the guy that I've been seeing for counseling for a couple of years now, wonderful man, loves Jesus, very, very wise. Um, and it, he once said to me that the thing that I wanted least to do was to just be present in the moment and look at what was going on. I wanted to just move past it. And what he challenged me to do is, I want you to look at it. I want you to tell yourself what you're really afraid of. And I want you to just be present in that and to wait and to sit. Some of us have these fears and we just, we just don't want to look at them. We don't want to think about them. We don't want to be present in them. We want to rush past them or around them. And God is saying, be patient. I'm going to show up. It's not okay often in our life, the things that we're struggling with. It's not okay, but we are okay. It's not okay, but we are okay because we have God. Last thing that we are taught to do in this psalm is to look at what we have, what we face, what we need, and now let's look at what we have. David finishes by saying, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. David returns at the close of this psalm to his confidence in God's care. He started with God and now he's going to end with God. He bookended all of his wrestling and his struggles and his questions with who God is and what he has in God. Now, David doesn't know the future. He's not saying this because he knows all the enemies are going to go away and the difficult situations are going to stop. His confidence isn't that he knows for certain God will deal with it in the way that he wants him to. It isn't that he will get everything that he wants. It's that regardless of what happens, God is with him. Regardless of his enemies, regardless of his circumstances, he already has what he needs most. And that's why he can say, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. I think that verse there, 13, ties back to verse 4 when David says, I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. He says, I want to gaze on that. I want to behold that. And he closes by saying, I am going to see it. Somehow, somewhere, amidst all the chaos and the crazy, I'm going to see that God is good and that he's beautiful. In essence, David is saying, I trust you, God, to handle this for me. I believe that you will turn this around. But did you know that you and I have something that even David doesn't have? Because where David says that he will see the goodness of God, you and I can say we have seen it. You know why? 
You know why I can confidently say that you have seen the goodness of God, even though you may be going through some incredibly painful circumstances right now? You can say that you have seen it because of Jesus. Because what David awaited, you and I have already received in Jesus. Jesus is the goodness of God made flesh. He is the promise of God to rescue from all of our fears. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says that he's certain nothing can separate us. Now what he doesn't say is he doesn't say they're not going to come. He doesn't say that we're not going to face death. We're not going to face struggle and pain. He just says that those things can't separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. At the close of this week's message, I want to be honest with you all. Perhaps more than any sermon or kind of thought that I've been wrestling through in a long time, this one has been one that I just, by the end of the week, I just didn't want to do it. Uh, it was Friday night and I was thinking about this and I, I was literally having to force myself to sit there and read and write because I just didn't want to do it. And the reason why is because I am full of fear right now. Full of it. Back home in England right now, my mom who I love, she's got cancer. And this, week, the, or this last week she received a scan that said it's all over her body. She's dealing with new growth in multiple places, and doctors have already said that chemo cannot get rid of the growths. They can only manage them. I don't know what's going to happen to my mom, and I'm a weld away from her. And then this week, I found out about Jenny, one of the most wonderful people in the world, celebrating the birth of a child that she's waited for for years, and she's told this horrible news, and I don't know what's going to happen. So I've been trying to pray, I've been trying to tell myself, read these things that I'm preaching to you and say, God, make this real to me, help me believe what I want other people to believe, that you're good, that you can turn things around. I could try and convince myself that law will be okay, I don't know if it will. And so I'm afraid. But I choose to bring that fear to the only place where I will find rest from it. Jesus. Jesus who understands fear because in the garden of Gethsemane as he awaited the cross, he felt fear. Jesus who faced fear when he looked into the worst moment of his life and he said, not my will but yours be done. I can say to you that I am confident that I will see the goodness of God in my life regardless of what happens because Jesus gave himself up for me. Because by his own blood, he has promised me that he will never leave me, he will never forsake me, and that he will work all things together for my good. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know when this pandemic is going to end. I don't know what's going to happen to the people that I love that are suffering. But I know God is on his throne. I know that his thoughts about us outnumber the grains of sand on the beach that his eye is on the sparrow and so it is certainly on me. I know that he is dedicated to showing his goodness to us. I want to come to a close by reading you what I read on Jenny's Facebook this morning. 
Excuse me if I get a little emotional about it. Because I could not write this. She says, many people have advised me not to let my mind go to dark places. But I'm not superhuman and I have no power to stop the incredible fear and anxiety. But my hope's not in me anyway. I'm a sinner in desperate need of a savior. And praise Jesus that he is not afraid to enter into this darkness with me. Psalm 139.12 declares, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And she says, His light penetrates darkness. I can't lift my own life from the pit of despair, but God meets me there. That's what a life empowered by faith looks like. Then in the face of fear, she has confidence in the God who will not leave her for whom darkness is as light. Would you rather live a life paralyzed by fear or empowered by faith? In your fears, I invite you to join me in seeking God's face, to gaze on his beauty and to trust in his love and surrender to his care. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we are so often afraid We read words in scripture like, why should I be afraid? Of whom should I be afraid? But Lord, we still feel it. God, thank you for bearing with us and being so kind and gentle to us that even though you have given us countless reasons not to be afraid, even though you have shown up time and time again, you have done the miraculous, you have done the incredible, even then when we fear, you still bear with us with such gentleness. Father, you surround us by your, with your love. And God, I pray for us even now as we face so many fears, Jesus, that you would quiet us with your love, that you would still us, that we would gaze upon your beauty and that we would see your goodness in the land of the living. Well, we love you, but not as much as you love us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.